making an island paradise sustainable for future generations today. I'm Robert Colangelo, and this is Green Sense, where we bring you eco-innovations that are changing your world. My guest this week is Kelly Takea King, council member of Maui County, Hawaii, and she also chairs the Climate Action Resilience and Environment Committee. Council member King, aloha. Aloha. Good to see you, Robert. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for joining GreenSense and calling in all the way from Maui. Uh, We really appreciate you being on the show. I've had the pleasure of working in the state of Hawaii on sustainability issues. And with the right political will, I always felt that these islands could be a living laboratory to test eco-innovations and sustainability technology. Uh, What are your thoughts on that? Well, you're exactly right. And it just so happens that in the last couple of years, we have had the political will to move some of these initiatives forward. And I'm I'm thrilled to be able to, um, I'm actually working at breakneck speed for county government, getting uh, these ordinances through. But I also feel, you know, the heavy weight of climate change on me on a daily basis. So I know we don't have much time to make these changes in the way we do things, you know, the way we we um, live our daily lives, our protection of the reefs and the wetlands, our protection of biodiversity, and so many other issues that relate to uh, not just our future generations, but the climate action we have to be taking now. Yes. For many who go to Hawaii who don't live there, you know, look, go there for vacation. They don't realize that Honolulu has some of the worst traffic congestions. Again, a perfect place to test a variety of EVs. Uh, Many people drive short distances. Why burn all that gas and fuel? Your electric power, uh, do they still use those bunker fuel oils uh, to to run the power plants? Well, we're trying to get away from that. And in my other iteration, my husband and I run Pacific Biodiesel, which is the oldest biodiesel company in America. And so we've been working closely on the private front with the public utilities here. Public utilities, meaning that they serve the public, but they're actually privately held entities um, to try to get to try to replace bunker oil and some and coal and some of those really damaging fuels they're using with biodiesel. So we've been we've been getting very good cooperation, I'm happy to say. Well, I'm happy to hear that, too, because when I was there, that produces a lot of pollution. It's very dirty, but it was also very expensive. Uh, your utility rates are in excess of 30 cents a kilowatt hour. And you have so many different sources of renewable energy from wind to wave to solar to the cool deep ocean water for cooling. You know, most people don't have uh, access to so many different uh, variable sources. So uh, you would think that that uh, would be uh, fantastic. And then lastly, a lot of the uh, uh, ancient aquacolor traditions uh, uh, coupled with modern technology uh, is a great way to produce uh, local protein with these fish ponds. A- any thoughts or uh, ideas on that? Well, uh, I think that's a great a great segue into um, all sorts of types of ancient technology, things like biochar for agriculture. You know, that's a way to cut down on use of water because if you put biochar under your crops, it's going to hold way more water. And you can, I've, the figures I've heard is you can actually use 50% less water on your crops because the water will stay there. So there's all, that's an ancient technology. They used to call it black soil, I think, something like that. Uh, so if we, if we look to our ancestors and their ancestors, I think there's a lot of the answers are there, but we also have to understand that what one of the things that, that we are founded on um, is the, the, it may not be technology, 
but the idea that wetlands are our first defense against flooding, the reefs are our first defense against erosion. And so we need to, you know, we need to save our watersheds because that's where we're getting most of our water, um, our ground, our um, surface water. So if we start thinking about the way things used to be and the preservation and the respect that our ancestors may have had for more, more respect, you know, for the environment and how we all work together, that's what we have to get back to is that respect and that protection. Right now I'm working on a bill that passed out of my committee to, um, to require a lower uh, wavelength, um, blue light wavelength for uh, lighting so that we can protect our seabirds because our native seabirds fall out of the sky. Um, the fledglings fall out of the sky between September and December when they, when they start to hatch. They get confused by our lights They'll circle around, they'll fall on the ground, they'll get attacked by birds or run over by cars. And so this is a this is a, an issue that's been going on for a long time. I'm working with the Maui Nui Seabird Recovery Program. So they're all, all those kinds of things and bringing that kind of technology to the public requires a lot of outreach and education because people don't understand why we need to do that. And, you know, they, I've been hearing all kinds of criticism, even from the mayor. The, the mayor is saying, you can't get those lights. Well, we found them on Amazon. You know, the, the lights are available now. The required lighting is available now. And uh, the problem is ongoing. But, you know, just knowing how we all work together with nature, these seabirds are not just beautiful to look at and part of our, you know, cohabitation. They provide a, a, a resource to us, you know, with the guano. I mean, their, their poop, if you will, is really important to our reef systems, to, you know, uh, the whole health of our shoreline areas fertilizing the shoreline grasses and the shoreline plants and feeding, uh, even feeding the um, marine ecosystems. So everything kind of works together and we have to get back to that concept of the protection of the environment for the protection of humans. Well, and as I said, that's why I thought the islands are a perfect living laboratory. You could just test all these new uh, eco innovations and collect some very good data. Um, you are one of three women that were highlighted by ICLE, the local governments for sustainability that are leading in sustainability and climate action. And that was another reason we had you on the show. Uh, with your leadership, we're hoping that one day Hawaii can be that living laboratory I discussed. And congratulations on your acknowledgement. How has that recognition by ICLE helped you and your, your cause? Well, you know, the people in Hawaii aren't real familiar with ICLE, so I've been trying to educate them on this wonderful organization. In fact, when I was tapped to join the board of ICLE USA, I didn't know what this organization was, so I had to do a lot of research on it myself. So I'm not, I'm not certain that, that that recognition necessarily helped my cause in Hawaii, other than the fact that the state level folks do recognize this organization, and they're very in tune with our, our state legislature um, many people there, especially the, the Progressive Caucus and the Environmental Caucus, are very in tune with what's happening globally. So that has helped with me being able to testify on some of these initiatives I started that other state legislators are now trying to um, carry on statewide. For instance, the chemical sunscreen ban. It's the most aggressive sunscreen ban in the world because it bans all chemicals and only allows the two minerals to be used and sold and just distributed. So one of uh, our, our state legislators in the House, in the House of Representatives, who chairs the Environment Committee over there, I've been working with her on you know, getting the components of this bill to be statewide so we don't have to go county by county uh, with all of these, you know, these types of issues once we prove them out. 
and we show the science of it, we do want those to be statewide. It saves us a lot of time and a lot of wasted years of um, you know, our reef being destroyed. So that's a kind of one example of where that global recognition is helping me because it, it does make, make uh, our state legislators kind of sit up and take notice and say, okay, well, maybe we should listen to her. And you know, I, I also was able to engage with a couple of them who went to COP26 and didn't really have a lot of activity planned, whereas ICLEI had me busy every single day <laughs> giving presentations. So I think there was a, there's a, that kind of interaction brings in the ICLEI initiatives because ICLEI is so focused on county and city governments, on bringing all of these initiatives to the local level, understanding that that collaboration boots on the ground at the at the lowest level of government is really where we're going to keep this momentum going. You know, our, our, our president may change, our national leaders may change, but if our cities and counties stay focused, we can make the difference here. I agree. Uh, climate is a, a global issue, but but it's so different in each location and keeping a steady, consistent uh, force working on that is very important. So let's get into some of those local issues. Uh, what specific sustainability challenges are unique to the islands that maybe we don't face here in the mainland? Okay, you probably don't face a lot of the reef destruction that is happening here because um, we rely on the reef so heavily here. As, like I said, the first defense against erosion, it breaks up those ocean waves that would otherwise come on shore. So we have a lot of that. We have, you know, it, it also is, it affects our, our main attraction here because tourism is such a big industry here and people come here for the ocean environment to dive on our reefs. And so if we lose those, we, you know, we, we are losing uh, probably 50% of the reason why people come here which may not be something that happens across the, even on the West coast, you know, people, people go there for the, the sand and sun, but they don't, not everybody there um, dives or, or appreciates the, um, or gets into the marine ecosystem, I should say. So that's unique. Um, our watersheds are unique, how closely tied we are. Even individuals understand how important the watershed is. I lived in California for many years and, no one ever said the word watershed to me over there or wetland or, you know, reef system. So these are things that we live with daily and the protection is so important because we're feeling it in real time. Sea level rise is hitting us. Uh, most of the, you know, most, I mean, in the years past, the decades past, anybody who had money or, or uh, wanted to build a resort or a home uh, would, would, you know, the first preference was on the beach. So we have a lot of um, facilities, we have a lot of resorts, we have a lot of private homes and condos that are right on the beach that are right now being affected by sea level rise. And you'll see if you go up into the West Maui area, there's a strip called Kahana that has had for I think about a decade has been riddled with sandbags and you know, trying to, and you can see the erosion in real time. So we're, we're faced with it daily. We touch it daily. Um, most people on the mainland um, don't have that experience. And so it's not as real to them. But we're also an example for island communities around the globe because there's, there's so many island communities that are, have already experienced much more damage than we have, but have a very small voice. So there's a, there again was why it's so important for ICLE to highlight. In fact, I was told that when I was asked to go to COP26, as a delegate for ICLEI, I was told by the global advocate that my voice was really important. Come, uh, first as a female leader, 
because we don't have a lot of those. And second, as a female leader in the Pacific Islands, you know, speaking out for the areas that are already being affected by sea level rise. What are the biggest challenges you face as a council member putting these sustainability ideas into action? Uh, the, um, I guess ignorance is one thing and the refusal to listen to science. Uh, of course, um, the, if it, if it uh, interferes with someone's um, desire to develop in that area or to develop around that area or to make money, um, then that's, a, that's probably the biggest resistance. The only, the only opposition I had in my committee to the sunscreen bill came from a dermatologist of all people who actually has his own sunscreen that he's been promoting for over a decade that includes some of the chemicals that we are banning. So, you know, self-interest and, um, you know, monetary value always comes to play when you're trying to protect the environment. And luckily, we have um, the political will on the council right now to see through a lot of that and to stay with the message. I had a eight to one vote in favor of the sunscreen bill in my committee. So um, I think the collective intelligence is, is looking, not just looking at the science that's in front of us, but the science that's predicting what will happen if we don't take these measures. That's what's really important. Prevention is hard to prove and the naysayers will go there first. Critical fact-based thinking is uh, something we're a little weak on in our country. So when you get this ignorance, how do you combat that? With science, with the experts, you know, we, this has been probably the one really good thing about the pandemic is we're doing things virtually like this meeting right now, this interview, and we can bring in experts from around the world. And we have. So one of our foremost experts on the sunscreen chemical ban was Dr. Craig Downs, who was part of the initial research that connected the chemicals and sunscreens to the degradation of the reef and the marine ecosystems. And he was on for, he was on every time we needed him, you know, talking about the science of what happened, talking about his reports, talking about, oh, plus we had, um, he was connecting us, he was helping us get connected to the state Department of Land and Natural Resource folks. And those folks are huge advocates for, against sunscreen. Being, being dumped on the reef. So that's how you combat it is you bring in the, the science, the expertise, the knowledge, um, the local advocates who have been living with degradation uh, due to the lack of uh, the protection who can speak from experience. And then also you, it's, it's essential to highlight the reasons for the opposition because you know where I think this current council largely wants to put people over profits. And so we're, we are highlighting instances where people are just protecting their own profits. Uh, and, and also the fact that there are ways to do things differently and still make a profit. You know, yeah. change, your, change your sunscreen, get the chemicals out, you know, change it to a mineral sunscreen. Yes. Well, and that brings me to my next question. You're on the EPA's advisory group and are working toward a closed loop circular economic development. Explain what that means. Okay, well, the EPA advisory committee is, is separate because that's a that that was basically the local government advisory committees to the federal government were, were basically for the previous administration, federal administration were pretty much defunct. They didn't really use 
uh, citizens' input. They didn't care about our input. When President Biden came in, he immediately re- reenacted, you know, the or reinvigorated the local government advisory committees and started putting out calls. So I applied for that. I was I was nominated and, and appointed to that committee. And we're looking at um, things like the Clean Water Act. We're looking at um, the money that's coming in for. Um, the infrastructure, because some of it goes to the state revolving fund, which addresses wastewater issues. So we're giving advice on those kinds of issues, those kind of broader environmental issues that the EPA deals with. But the circular economy uh, folds into all these things, because as we move forward and we want to curb tourism, because tourism is one of the largest greenhouse gas emitting industries in the world, you know, especially where we live, where everybody has to fly in here. And so our aviation emissions are horrendous and we don't even talk about it. It's one of the things that kind of gets swept under the rug when we talk about greenhouse gas emissions. But the circular economy is the way we're going to um, be able to, you know, right now we've we've let ourselves grow. Um, It was sort of the goose that laid the golden egg and tourism has grown to the point where we were so dependent on it that our economy crashed when the pandemic hit and everything shut down. And so now well, we're working on the count, some of us on the council anyway, um, the chair is very focused on it, is uh, is diversifying the economy and creating a circular economy. So we have other opportunities for jobs and careers rather than just tourism. It's also one of the reasons that we're losing young people from our islands. There, everybody touts the fact that they can't find a place to live. But because I have, you know, my my kids are in their early 30s. Uh, my son left because he couldn't find a career in research, which is he's a he's a biologist and he's um, he's got his M- MBA or a master's of science in my in um, bioengineering. You can't find those kinds of jobs here. There's not a lot of opportunity. And, and the sad thing is that relying on tourism, most of those jobs are 10, 12 dollar an hour jobs. So you have to work three or four jobs just to make ends meet if you're trying to raise a family. So trying to diversify the economy into technology and more healthcare focus and in investment in agriculture, which we've been doing over the past couple of years, we've invested the kind of money we used to invest in tourism. We took that out of tourism and we put it into local agriculture. Um, we, we are moving ahead with, um, you know, just with a, an implementation, putting out an RFP for uh, uh, someone to create an implementation plan with real goals and benchmarks for how we're going to um, instigate this uh, diversified economy, which, which industry sectors should we focus on, you know, having stakeholder meetings, where do the kids want to work, what, what kind of fields do they want to go into for the future, a lot of people want to be involved in, in environment and climate change, but they don't know exactly what aspect, like, do you want to be involved in marketing, research, uh, you know, process technology, and so we have to start looking at these opportunities and aligning ourselves with our local colleges and universities. Well, I'm in a, a controlled environment agriculture, so I'm happy to hear that. I know uh, Sensei has a project uh, out on the islands. Uh, I think it's in Lanai, right? Uh, um, and there's been a number. I think I read about a greenhouse in Hawaii that uh, uses solar panels for their uh, uh, glass panels, so they they produce electricity and let the sunlight into the greenhouse. So. Uh, there's such a nice climate there. You don't need very complicated structures to, to be able to uh, grow year round. Um, I have one last question for you and that uh, we talked about tourism. Uh, it's really amazed your source of income for the Island paradise. Uh, so how do you balance the revenue stream that fuels the economy 
with locals who live on the island and their concern for the environment and sustainability issues versus transient tourists who come on vacation, they don't care about pollution, it's really, uh, or, or conservation or sustainability, they just want to relax and consume. Well, you know, some of these initiatives that I've been instigating through the CARE Committee, the Climate Action, Resilience and Environment Committee, um, are are designed to address that because, you know, we're looking at different lighting because the seabirds were looking at um, not allowing tourists to be using chemical sunscreens once they get here. They won't be available for sale or distribution, and they're actually going to be illegal to be used. So um, we're try- that's part of education and outreach. In fact, when we when we passed that bill out of the full council, the State Department of Land and Natural Resources came and put three uh, mineral sunscreen dispensers in for the public. While we were having the the ceremony, just kind of unveiling the first one, uh, the couple of tourists walked up and went, "What's this?" So we told them about, it and they said, "Wow, this is great! This is this is amazing! It's so great that you guys are, are providing this." So I I really believe tourists want to do the right thing. And we want, those are the tourists we want to attract. We don't want the tourists who could care less about our environment and just want to lay on the beach. Come here, learn about our environment. Uh, We're starting to develop more ecotourism on the island. We're starting to develop opportunities for tourists to to help out with um, even county and state projects. You know, the the watershed, the, the removal of invasive weeds, cleaning up the wetlands, things like that. And we're also, we've also got um, uh, forward motion on, um, instigating tourism management technology. Uh, One of the pilot projects I helped get funded in the upcoming budget is called Smart Tourism App. And it will will identify very popular sites in three different communities, one of them being mine, um, to put on this app. A tourist can go on, if they decide they want to go somewhere like maybe Wailea Beach, they can go on, they can see how crowded it is, how many people are already there, and they can say, oh, maybe we'll go there tomorrow or at a different time. So trying to manage where tourists are at any given time is going to be really important um, also for their experience, because you're going to have a much better experience if it doesn't take you two hours to get to the beach because the traffic's so crowded. If you can figure that out ahead of time and go somewhere else, maybe you'll go up to the Haleakala, up to the mountain, or maybe you'll go to Iao Valley. Um, and, and we're hoping to have eventually these apps for places around the island. So managing the tourism that, that is here is going to be very important, as well as reducing the over-tourism that we've been having. Well, I'm very happy that a person like you is there on the islands, uh, you know, fighting for sustainability and, and making uh, the island much more livable. Um, so thank you very much uh, for joining us. Is there any thoughts you'd like to share in closing? Well, I just really would like to appreciate you highlighting these kinds of efforts that go on in different communities, because well, the, the goal is to not have to reinvent the wheel. The goal is to, you know, when I was at COP26 and I was talking about some of the initiatives we were doing on Maui, I was on a panel with a mayor from Brazil and he just looked at me and said, can we meet after this <laughs> panel discussion? So the more we can learn from each other, um, from the various communities that are doing different things. I mean, we, we still have things that we haven't figured out. We're still working on some of these issues. And if we can move, a, move it something further ahead faster because someone else has already done it, um, you know, I'm very happy to give somebody else credit for bringing good ideas to Maui and very happy to share what we know with other communities. So the, these kinds of venues are a way to do that. Thank you so much, Robert. Well, Councilmember King, it was real uh, pleasure speaking with you and thank you for joining us all the way from Maui. All right. Ahui ho. That means <laughs> we meet again. <laughs> <laughs>
That was Council Member King talking about the unique challenges facing the state of Hawaii and sustainable solutions. Green Sense is an independent radio show that relies on the generous financial support of our listeners to produce a high quality audio broadcast that promotes innovators with sustainable solutions to solve our most pressing environmental challenges. If you're interested in becoming a patron, visit the GreenSenseFarms.com website to download the patron form. I'm Robert Colangelo. Thank you for listening to Green Sense and catch the Green Sense Minute every Thursday and Saturday on 105.9 WBBM Chicago.